On today's episode of Come Pray With Me, I will be interviewing some of the ladies of Third Haven Quaker Meeting in Easton, Maryland. My guests include Gwen Beagle, Molly Burgoyne, and Susan Claggett. I will also be sharing a few words from John Hawkinson, another member of Third Haven, on abolitionists in Quakerism. Ms. Beagle is a clerk of worship and ministry for Third Haven, which means she helps organize meetings and acts as a representative. However, Quakerism does not have the traditional hierarchy other sects of Christianity do. Join us as we explore this and many more topics in my first episode to include women guests. Welcome, ladies. It's wonderful to have you. So my first question is, how do services in a Quaker church differ from services at other churches? Well, um, I would say that if you are a person who's never been to a Quaker meeting and you walk into one of our meetings, you will first discover that for our meeting, we are considered to be unprogrammed, which means that we are mostly silent meeting. Um, we do have... Um, that we know everyone's sort of familiar with our habits so we know that when we go into the meeting that we are immediately quiet and we go into silence and we try to connect with God uh, with the sacred with spirit and that's our immediate uh, focus and that's what we hold on to for the entire uh, period of time that we come together to be in, in a in a, we call them meetings, in a meeting together. One of your first questions there referred to a church, and we call it Quaker meeting. We don't refer to it as a church. It's an interesting thing through the years, people have asked me uh, what's different about a Quaker meeting, and some people will even say, do you have to wear one of those hats? <laughs> or are you really silent for the whole time and all of that? But I, I think the way that we believe that there's that of God in every single person and that we believe that stillness is a good way to access all of that um, and, and go deeper into that realm. It sets up the stage for how we worship together, that it becomes a lot more powerful when we're all together because we center together and looking for the light and the divine. Um, in the stillness and in the quiet. And that's sort of the heart of an unprogrammed Quaker meeting. I would add one more thing, and that is that we go in with the expectation that we really are meeting God. Um, that's our expectation. It's not a pro forma thing. I mean, we don't, we're not always successful in our own connections but we go in with that expectation that that's what we're there for. And, and I would add to Gwen's, I love that word expectation because you do enter a meeting expecting a connection, looking for it, desiring it, waiting. You're waiting for it, but you are actively seeking that divineness among, among the group as well as from your own soul. I think those are great points. And then it sort of ties into how at Quaker meetings, unlike the meetings I have at other Christian churches, there's not really a priest or a reverend. It's more like everyone is involved and everyone's on an equal level. Correct. That's exactly right, Sarah. 
and that's one of our tenements of our faith is equality. I mean, from the get-go, Quakers have always looked at um, every person uh, with 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 equality. No one is more above one another, and I think our our Quaker meetings reflect that. Our the houses that we meet in, the way the benches are um, all laid out on one one level. Uh, the fact that we um, treat children as an important part of our meeting, as well as any adults that come. Everyone is equal and everyone has a say because everyone has a direct connection to the divine. Um, we also have the expectation that we will be ministered, um, we'll minister to each other and that we will have uh, people in our meeting who will fulfill the function of pastoral care. So um, um, the structure of a meeting is generally that we have groups of people that spe pay special attention to things that are important to the meeting. Um, so uh, things that a, a hired pastor might do in another place, we do for ourselves, organized into committees, and those committees each have a clerk, and our meeting has a clerk. And um, so Molly is our meetings clerk, and she has the, a lot of responsibility um, in service to the meeting. And, and uh, she's a wonderful example of, of how clerks um, should operate and do operate in meetings like ours. So we fulfill the pastoral care, um, not by one person, but by many people. Um, and we have the expectation that all of the functions of a hired minister might be uh, taken care of, but we do it in a dispersed um, way with many people taking, uh, taking leads at different times. But the ultimate lead is, is resting with the clerk of the meeting. Molly, I, I, would you agree with that <laughs> as a way to characterize your role? Um, I, you know, I've been a firm believer that all of us are clerks. All of us are clerks and Quaker meeting. And, and that stems from that very central belief system that there's that of God in every person. And we, we may have different words for God. I think some people call it inner spirit, inner light, the divine, the goddess. There's so many different names for what is inside of you that is good, that is goodness. Um, and every single one of us have the ability to access that. And it makes us all clerks in a lot of ways. We each have our own skill system and, and skill set that we bring to the meeting that uh, we share with one another. Some may be skilled in, in, in opening and closing a meeting, but others are skilled in nurturing people, um, teaching people, uh, noticing when someone has needs that aren't being met. Um, so the beauty of being in a Quaker meeting, I think, is that every single person contributes uh, and every single person has a role with that and it makes it a whole. We talk about having a beloved community and I think that's really what we strive for is uh, uh, some of the early Quakers used to say that the job as Quakers is to bring heaven here on earth. And, I think we do that as a community and a group. That's really beautifully said. So another interesting point about Quakers is that they were very active in the suffragette movement and they were one of the first 
religious organizations to allow women to actively speak and share their ideas in these meetings. So what roles historically have women played in Quakerism and how has that shaped the roles that they play today? Well, I'll answer that. At least I'll start off by saying, Sarah, that uh, you see before you who showed up for this, right? <laughs> Three women. So um, from the get-go, also women have been very vital in having the meeting, the, doing the meetings functions. Um, early on, the meetings were separated by the men doing their business and the women doing theirs, but yet the women still had a business meeting. So they were accountable and they were responsible. Um, and as you mentioned, um, just historically, women have been very big on um, you know, voting rights, as you said, but also I think Quakerism in general, also um, abolition of slavery and um, just helping with the Underground Railroad. But I will like to say that we do have evidence in this area alone of women, particularly Quaker women, doing schooling from way, way back before people, you know, oh, before there was just you know, white boys going to school. Uh, Quaker women were teaching, were starting schools, leading schools, having schools for all people, for all young kids. So that's just something that I would put out right away that Quaker women have done historically. Those are great points. And that was actually going to be my next question about the abolitionist movement. And I just wanted to chime in and say that you all are actually my first women guests on the show. So yay. Wow. <laughs> That's that speaks to our faith, I think, Sarah. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Before you, you go on, I read an interesting novel a couple of years ago um, that was written by a non-Quaker. And her, the lead character was a young woman in Philadelphia at the turn of the 1800s who be, was a single mom. And at that time, she had to go through a whole lot as a single mom. And um, she wrote a diary and the book was about her diary. Well, long story short, when this novelist was asked why she chose a Quaker woman to do this, she said at that time, even poor women as Quakers were educated and knew how to read and write. So the only people that would have put a diary down at that time to you know, chart what she was going through as a single mother and unwed mother uh, would have been a Quaker, which I think speaks to what Susan was saying early, early on, a strong belief in educating women, making sure women could read and write um, and could speak their mind and speak their voice. Uh, from the very beginning. And, and Sarah, to um, pursue your next question that has to do with the abolitionist movement and the Quaker history there, um, it, it is, um, we're particularly open for people that have um, a, a concern or a, a leading, we call it a leading, um, that would compel them to uh, speak out on particular issues. And this happened a long time ago. It happens still now. So um, the, the Quaker that we most identify with really uh, pushing 
Quakers, even slave owning Quakers, which there were some um, back uh, well before um, slavery was abolished more widely. John Woolman had a leading and he is a great example for us still um, about how to organize your life and um, uh, around a, a central tenet of meaning. And for him, it was he needed not to have anything in his life that um, that represented the work of slaves. And then he traveled all around and um, organized his work even so that it wouldn't interfere with him being able to speak out to many different Quakers all over um, 18th century, is that correct? 18th century, um, Maryland, Pennsylvania, um, all around. Um, he traveled by foot um, because that's the way that he believed that he was least injuring other creations. So he's a great example to us still. And his uh, message and uh, mission really compelled Quakers to turn away and, um, and to uh, release their slaves if they had them and to become more and more active in anti-slavery um, uh, movements. Okay, since we're on this topic, I'll say something else. <laughs> no one... Okay, and we're not finished with this work. Um, I think that you'll find also in Quaker meetings that we are not finished with the work of the history of enslavement, um, that we are, um, even though many of us as uh, uh, people who hold white privilege um, have thought in the past that because we were Quakers and because we had the belief that there's that of God in everyone, it, it made us naturally sort of um, uh, non-racist people. I think that Quakers as a group have been really active in becoming anti-racists. And you'll see that if you look up at our uh, Philadelphia Yearly Meeting work, there's been a lot of work in recent years around how truly to come to terms with the um, uh, white supremacy that remains in our dominant culture. So while Quakers have um, been at the forefront in the past, uh, we don't excuse ourselves from the work that needs to be done now. Um, we can't rest on, on someone else's work. We have to do our own too. Thank you for sharing that. And then I appreciate how you tied back into how um, different aspects of Quakerism contributed to this history of activism that the Quakers are very well known for, but then also how you talk about how this isn't something that should stay in the past. This should be active. It shouldn't just be something people read about in a textbook. It's an ongoing battle and we should all be at the forefront together. My next question is what's the significance of nature in Quakerism? Or did any of you have anything else you wanted to add to that before we move on? I, um, yeah, I'll just chime in, Sarah. Um, I'm just thinking about all the, all the issues that we have out there. Um, you know, um, racism is one of them and, um, you know, anti-violence and um, nature will be one of them too. You know, our, our violence on nature and, and Quakers really 
they just get involved in a lot of stuff. <laughs> and um, it's real important to stay active. And, and that's just part of being in a vibrant uh, faith community where, where activism is, is, is welcomed and encouraged. And um, that's, that's, that's our, that's our meeting here. We just, it's just, just like a lot going on and a lot of, of uh, topics to involve yourself in. Um, you know, I, you're probably going to get to pacifism soon too, you know, um, no war, that kind of thing. So we're just, we're busy people. Sarah, if I could back up maybe a little bit to um, give some structure to what I call the one, two, threes of Quakerism that kind of helped define us a little bit. Number one, and the first principle, of course, is, is there's that of God in everyone, um, you know, that we, we seek God inside of ourselves and we seek God inside of everyone. The second thing is our testimonies, which um, we have the mnemonic of the spices, <laughs> which is simplicity, peace, equality, um, stewardship, and <laughs> what's our last one? What? Integrity, Molly. Integrity, right. Okay, thank you. Integrity and stewardship of the environment. So <laughs> it's a mnemonic when it works well, right? But, <laughs> but to talk about equality and to talk about integrity and to talk about our ability to have stewardship for the environment, that all ties together in what we feel like is, is critically important. So you take that first principle that there's that of God in everyone, and then you branch out to, well, what do I do with that? Where do I, where do I put my, my endeavors? Um, and I, I think Susan said it well. I mean, as Quakers, you just don't sit and come and worship. You look for to those testimonies to think about what do I want to do with my life to help heaven come here on earth, to to help my fellow man. And the stewardship of the environment, of course, now is huge. Um, with a lot of us feeling like whatever work we do with a stewardship of the environment, we're also helping racial justice because there's so much inequity between the rich and the poor these days that to smooth that out by helping people have better environments, better living conditions, a better place to live in a healthier world will also improve the economies of people that are more vulnerable than we are. So there's overlap with the testimonies. I think there's overlap with the work we do, but each one of those components is really critical. Adding to what Molly said, and to go back to part of your question, Sarah, which had to do with our relationship with nature, I think that um, Quakers, individual Quakers are very um, uh, aware of the environment in which we live, um, and if you were to come to our meeting right now, we're meeting completely outside um, it, and we are hooked up via Zoom for a, um, for a Zoom feature. So some of us meet on the grounds spaced outside and, and some of us are in Zoom. Um, but even when we're not in that situation in our old meeting house, we have big original windows and there's quite a bit of permeability 
uh, between our internal environment and our natural environment um, that surrounds our our meeting house and is characteristic of our of our uh, of our grounds. Um, so I think that that aspect of our particular meeting and our worship lends itself for us to feeling very in tune with the natural world, and um, for many of us um, to become um, active in doing what we can to be protective of that national world and being involved in um, uh, trying to uh, decrease pollution and decrease waste and decrease um, the impact of our uh, way of life on, um, on the ecology of the world. One of our testimonies uh, is simplicity. And that speaks directly to nature. There's nothing more simple out there than nature. And as Gwen mentioned, our worship services um, in our old meeting house, which was built in 1684, has no electricity and huge old windows that are open fully during our uh, warmer months of the year where we sit in silence and nature is just part of our worship um we, we we have a direct connection because we have those windows open and we feel the breeze and we hear the birds um and we might hear an airplane go overhead but um i think it helps nature helps to settle us while we sit in that old meeting house i like to look out and watch um just watch the trees get fuller as the spring comes on in the summer and the bird song changes throughout the seasons. Um, but mostly I, I enjoy looking at the faces of my fellow Quakers as we sit quietly together. So as you mentioned earlier, pacifism is really important to Quakers and in what ways do they practice this in their daily lives? Well, when I looked at that question, um, I immediately thought of my home life and my children. I think um, pacifism starts early at home with children. Um, you are a role model um, for the way that you speak to them, for the way that you act. Um, what what you follow out there in the world, what's going on, making them um, as involved as possible because there are wars out there. But as Quakers, that's something that we don't believe in. We don't believe that wars answer questions or decide winners and losers. Um, at least I'm speaking personally from um, my Quaker perspective, but um, uh, raising my kids to be nonviolent, looking for nonviolent solutions to problems. Um, war is not the answer. Um, but how, what is? How do you uh, resolve conflict? And that's something that you have that I taught my children young, and Quaker meeting helped me with that because we were a community together. Um, trying to answer that question and live our lives as non-violently and without war or without supporting war as possible. I now have um, a 20 something year old son and 
there was a discussion in our home about, you know, putting his name out there for the selective service. Um, you know, if, if a war came along, what would he do? Would he serve? Would he um, do something different? Anyway, it's something that starts at home very young and also is supported with the Quaker community. You know, along with what Susan said, which was so beautifully said and ties the family with, you know, the way that we live in our community and that the way that we think of the world, um, we have a lot of emphasis on nonviolence and um, trying to figure out what that means for each of us in our own lives. Um, and also educational programs that have to do with nonviolence. And um, one of our most beloved members spent a lot of time uh, ministering in prison around a, a nonviolence educational program for, for aimed at prisoners, but not only at prisoners, but all of us. And so I think that there are many Quaker um, avenues um, for uh, learning more about how to be increasingly nonviolent um, with regard to the way that we are in the world. I would also say that Quakers don't, it's not the Quakers don't have disagreements in our community or that we don't have strong opinions and that we have to negotiate in the world because it's not like we're not opinionated. We don't have things to say. We don't have strong views. Um, but I think that in our personal work inside our community, one of the things we really try to do is to be very, um, I'm going to say Christ-like in the way that we approach our work with each other. We can disagree, but we work toward understanding each other deeply and uh, we work toward a sense of unity in which we might agree that there is that, uh, that um, uh, kernel of truth that where we can center our, our position around. And that's a part of also how we work at nonviolence in our own uh, committee work. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very wonderful part of what we do as, as, as meeting members. Yes, I'll add a little bit to that with Gwen. Um, thank you both. Uh, I think that one thing we do in our business meeting that really teaches us all lessons is when we conduct a business meeting, people come in with the expectation that they will say and release, which means that they can say their opinion and state their opinion and then they release it to the group. So you don't get into arguments or back and forth or one, friend trying to convince the other friend that he's wrong and they're right and these sort of uh, things like that that go on in, in typical meetings, I'd say. People speak one time, say what their opinion is, and then let the spirit move through people to see whether or not that brings them closer to a conclusion of unity or not um, without the discord. And I know personally for myself, going to these business meetings for years now. It's a real game changer in how you live your life. So my next question is, why do Quaker meetings include the word friends in the title? Back in uh, early spring when I was doing first day school classes, teaching the children, 
we had a class about George Fox, who was um, is one of is a, one of our early founding members of this faith. And George Fox, he had a lot of questions out there, and he wasn't sure how he felt. He, he knew he had something inside, and he wanted to share, but nothing would speak to his condition. Nothing. The church that he was going to didn't, and his friends put in, and the preacher that he talked to put in. Um, so he had some big questions and, um, he just didn't want to, uh, you know, doff his hat to authority, you know, or, or curtsy to, to when a Lord walked by, he just looked at everybody with equality. And I think the word friend, at least to me, means equality. You are my equal. You are my friend. You're not higher than me or below me. You know, I walk along with you. And um, that's sort of my sense when I was reading about George Fox and thinking about our early uh, Quaker roots. One of the reasons why I think we come up with friends is because we're so, you know, we firmly believe in, you know, that of God and everyone. Everyone has equal um, light under our heavens, our, our God, God's eyes, our divine, divine eyes out there. Um, and everyone can be friendly and friends with each other if they choose to. I love that, Susan. And I think that's such a nice way to kind of uh, convey that um, idea that we have with each other. Um, there's also the the, the old uh, biblical background for this as well. So there are two Bible verses in particular that I think that we sometimes hear. Um, and one of them is in Matthew. And it says, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. There I, there I am with them. I'm mangling that a little bit. Um, and the other one is um, in John, John 15, 15. And that one is about... Um, Therefore, I no longer call you uh, disciples, some verse, some will say servants, but friends. Um, and this is where that sense of equality with each other and with Jesus uh, comes into play, I think. Um, so we're, the things that are known, um, that Jesus came to make things known from his father to us, and he sees us as um, equal and willing participants in that um, in that religious endeavor. I think that's a, a historically uh, biblical way that the the word friends came into our title as well. I love that, and I love how it all ties back to some of the Quaker values of equality. Like we're all friends, we're all equals. We all have to try to get along in this world to make it a better place. So do any of you have any uh, prayers or uh, words you'd like to say? Um, I have one, Sarah, and it's just been on my mind a lot. Um, when we're going through such a tricky time in our, our society, um, not being able to see one another like we'd like to, or, and also people being sick and 
being scared of sickness and our virus is, is unknown. But one thing that Quakers say a lot is, I hold you in the light. And to me, that it's more than just I'm thinking about you. It's that I am caring for you deep down and you are important to me. And it's one of our prayers that Quakers often say when someone is maybe under some stress or just needing, just needing a hug. Our virtual way is I hold you in the light. And I really do thank you, Sarah, for this, this whole opportunity to be part of this podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's been awesome having you here. I really appreciate this chance to get to talk to all of you ladies and hear your ideas and to be able to share them with the world like this through this podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's it's really lovely to sit and talk and chat about the big pictures of things. Thank you, Sarah. Um, You know, we um, as Quakers, um, as as Susan was saying, we use the metaphor of the light um, whenever we're thinking about the presence of God. So when when we pray for people, it is often a wordless a wordless sense. It is often that we bring ourselves in that presence of God, and then we seek to bring another person with us or an issue with us into that presence of God. And so it's much less about um, saying, you know, do this, do this to God, and much more about um, understanding that that grace and um, submitting to the uh, the truth of God as we understand it as we're going along. So um, I guess those are my final words about the way we Quakers try to envision and and pray. Um, and thanks very much for the chance to help me articulate my own thoughts. Well, thank you. I feel like you said a lot of your ideas very eloquently, and I love the way that you explain some of the different historical aspects of Quakerism, as well as the ways that Quakers are trying to make our world a better place today in the here and now. So do any of you have anything else you'd like to talk about or share with our audience today? I would like to um, extend an invitation to anyone listening to attend a Quaker meeting in our area. Um, We have a very vibrant uh, Quaker meeting in Easton, Maryland. It's called Third Haven Friends Meeting, and we welcome, welcome visitors. Well said. And on one more thing, uh, Sarah, just a bigger picture than just our Quakers here in the Eastern Shore of Maryland. We have a very large Quaker community uh, north of us. Um, Baltimore is big and has a lot of Quakers as well as Philadelphia, of course, which is where we connect with um, on this side of the Maryland. So there's there, there are still quite a few Quakers around. And if anyone's interested, um, they could certainly... Um, look at our website, which is, you know, Third Haven Friends Meeting, 
and also our larger um, Quaker organization is called Philadelphia Yearly Meeting in, in up in Philadelphia. So that's other ways people could look up about our faith. Well, thank you all very much for being on the show today and taking time out of your schedule to be here with me. I really appreciate it and it means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> Good luck, Sarah. I hope it all goes well with your studies. You're thank doing you. interesting work. Oh, thank you. So do you guys. You all do some amazing work and I love how you've been able to still keep everything going and that you've maintained this really strong community despite COVID and all of the challenges that come with it. It's been an unexpected positive. Aw, <laughs> that's a beautiful way to look at it. You're all very bright and optimistic people. Like I can just see the sunshine radiating out of all of you when you speak or when you smile. I hope you'll visit us, Sarah, sometime, you. whenever you can. I will absolutely visit you guys. And cannot wait to see you. Yeah, Quakerism is very uh, experimental, so you have to um, you have to show up. <laughs> you have to, you have to... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Here is an excerpt from John Hawkinson on the abolitionist history of Quakers. Before the age of abolitionism, we are told there were a number of Quakers who held slaves. This led to the emergence of a few Quakers who opposed slavery. In the 18th century, John Woolman of Mount Holly, New Jersey, wrote and dedicated his life to opposing the practice. He could have been described as a door-to-door -door salesman for abolition, for his approach was often in person. He was sometimes called upon to write documents such as wills for people, and he steadfastly refused to do so if it involved persons held as slaves. Two of his other reflections were that he disliked using coins because of the evils of obtaining and coining precious metals, and he refused to wear clothing made of dyed cloth. He was a tailor because of the harsh conditions associated with dyeing cloth. To learn more about John Woolman and his beliefs, you can read books such as The Journal of John Woolman and Quaker and other selected writings. If you would like to learn more about Quakerism and attend quarantine-friendly Zoom and outdoor meetings, visit www.thirdhaven.org. Some great books on Quaker beliefs to get you started include William Penn's Holy Experiment, Quaker Truth in Pennsylvania, 1682-1781, Quakers Do What? Why? The Quaker Way and the Children's Book, Anti-Racist Baby, 